0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit BroadwayChurch.com. The clip you just saw was commented on by Regent Professor Bruce Hindmarsh uh, using this explanation. In a moment of confusion, the children are pulled through the frame, into the picture, and down into the sea. And this is what needs to happen to you and to me with the biblical story. And it is the wind of the Holy Spirit that we need to feel blowing in this room and the living water of the Holy Spirit that must drench us here and now. It's not enough to have a reframed understanding of the biblical story. We must be pulled through the frame and into the story left breathless from our encounter with the living God. Our goal in this class is to move from being spectators, if you're following along on your outline, that's our first blank, our goal in this class is to move from being spectators to what the Holy Spirit has done, to being participants in what the Holy Spirit is doing. We want to move from admiring the picture to being in the picture. And so this study of the book of Acts is focused on helping us all enter into and become a part of the biblical story, to find our place in the story, to have our own stories caught up in the big story of what God is doing through His Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit um, is active throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New. We just taught a course recently on pneumatology where we kind of tracked the Holy Spirit's footprints throughout the entire scriptures, beginning in the very first chapter of Genesis. going to the very last chapter of Revelation. But what we understand about the Holy Spirit today comes to us through three very prominent voices. In the Gospel of John, we principally hear Jesus' own teaching on the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit puts the dynamic in dynamic spirituality. So in the Gospel of John, it's Jesus who is teaching us about the Holy Spirit. In Paul's letters, Paul gives himself to explaining how the Holy Spirit works in animating the life of discipleship. And so Paul has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit as well, speaking from his own personal experience, but also teaching and discipling those people to whom he was preaching the gospel, particularly in the Gentile world. And Luke and his gospel, and in the book of Acts, describes the Holy Spirit at work And in doing so, he shows us where to look for the spirit to show up and what to expect when he does. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you learn best. Uh, Some of you might learn best by reading a book. Some of you might uh, read best by watching it done. Uh, I don't know if any of you are mechanics, or really handy with mechanical things. Um, But if I have to fix my car... Don't give me, you know, the Chilton guide to fixing Hondas. Like, that is useless to me. I can read it. I will be no further ahead than I was before. Uh, I'll do a little bit better if uh, I can watch it on YouTube, maybe. Somebody who has a car like mine who has to fix that part. But the way I learn best is to look over your shoulder as you fix my car. And when I can see what you're doing, then all of a sudden it begins to become clear to me so in in one sense Paul is more like the writer of the children's manual on the Holy Spirit but Luke is the mechanic under the hood saying hey come on over here and see what the Holy Spirit is doing watch what he does in this situation what's what he does in this situation to see what he's doing here then see what he does and through the process of observing the Holy Spirit at work we begin to get a sense of how he wants to work in our lives and what we can expect and where we can look for him to be active in our own lives Uh, Luke really helps us to move through the frame into the picture of what it is that God wants to do So the book of Acts Shows us and tells us how God the Holy Spirit worked through the early church And this is what goes in the next blank to change the world The book of Acts shows us and tells us how the God the Holy Spirit worked through the early church to change the world Sometimes this book is referred to as the acts of the Apostles And it does center its attention on specific people who were absolutely instrumental in um, establishing the church and extending the message of Jesus Christ to an ever-widening audience. But in many ways, you could argue that the book would be more appropriately called The Acts of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is the prime mover of everything that takes place in the entire book. So when we talk about Acts, here are some of the relevant questions that kind of come to mind as we sort of try to get our head around what the book of Acts is all about. Um, Number one, um, the same writer wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about why we feel that is Luke. But Luke wrote both of those books, not one or the other. And so you have to ask yourself, well, how are these two things related? Um, The second question is, well, why did Luke write the book in the first place? Uh, He's pretty explicit on why he wrote the Gospel of Luke, but why did he write the book of Acts? Another question, is Max merely uh, a history, a record of what happened? Or is it theology? Is it telling us something about God? Is it simply a history book that you blow the dust off and read if you want to be informed and, and you're interested in that sort of thing? Or is there something to be discovered about God in this book? That's a question we need to answer. Is the Acts material that Luke gives us concerning the church meant to be taken as normative? Are there things we see happening in the early church that are a pattern or something we should consider today? Or is it just basically descriptive? Here's what's happened way back when, with no implications on the present. And so how does Acts get organized by Luke? What's the method to the way he lays it out? And how do we grasp the message of Acts? How do we get the very most from it? So those are some of the questions you kind of ask yourself as you kind of move in to this incredible book, 28 chapters of fast-paced action, never a dull moment from Acts chapter 1 to Acts 28, and it kind of leaves you breathless at the end because it has one of the most abrupt endings of any of the books in the New Testament, and we'll get to that as well. So the very first thing that I want us to consider is this relationship between Luke and Acts, and here's something that you may not know. If you put Luke and Acts together, they comprise about 30% of the New Testament, those two books alone. That is uh, more coverage than the Pauline letters, and that is more coverage than all the Johannine writings. And I'd simply share that with you to help you realize that what Luke has to say is a significant chunk. Of everything that the New Testament has to say about Jesus ministry and how that ministry is worked out among his people in the early church and so 30% of the New Testament material is kind of given to what Luke has to tell us and so these two great narratives uh, inform us about who Jesus was what his ministry was how he went about discipleship, how he entrusted the mission to uh, his disciples, what the disciples did with that, where did they go with that. We have this great vista, this great drama unfolding from the beginning of Luke to the end of Acts. And we're going to explore the second part of that story. So when you think of the relationship between Luke and Acts, here's a couple of places where you can look for sort of bridges or bridge material. So if you have a Bible in front of you, I hope you do. I've put a couple on the table, just in case you want to refer to it. Uh, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Okay? Turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And uh, I'm going to read it out loud for you, if you don't have a Bible handy, but you just might want to follow along. So when Luke begins his gospel, this is how he starts. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, it's a name, Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And so in those first four verses, Luke kind of says, here's what the gospel is all about. Here's what I'm setting out to do. I've talked to the people who are eyewitness. I've gathered all the information. And I've decided to put it together in an organized and an orderly account, uh, particularly with Theophilus in mind. But, of course, it blesses us across the ages as well, so that we can have an understanding of what Jesus did, what he taught, where that all went. And so he wanted to make sure that Theophilus had an accurate count that he could take to the bank and uh, base his faith on the message that is communicated in the gospel. Now let's turn over a few pages to the first chapter of the book of Acts and let's read the first four verses from that chapter. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And this is how it goes. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the Apostles whom he had chosen after his suffering he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God and on one occasion while he was eating with them he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Well, there's some commonality between those two. They're both addressed to the same person, to Theophilus, whoever he was. By the way, anybody ever choose that name for one of your children? Or maybe your pet, Theophilus? I thought it'd be a great name for for a, a great workhorse, you know, Theophilus. I apologize to Theophilus wherever you are. But in the book of Acts, he refers to his his first book and said this book was all about Jesus. Now I wanna bring that message forward to now. I wanna talk to you about everything that happened after the resurrection. That is going to be what this book is all about, Theophilus. Everything that happened uh, after the resurrection. And so he begins with those 40 days that Jesus spent teaching uh, the disciples after he rose again from the dead. Would have been an amazing thing to be a part for that, you know, mini uh, 40-day mini biblical seminar. I kind of think that would have been quite an amazing thing. So right away, there's a connection right in the very first few verses. And you begin to realize that, boy, Luke is continuing in Acts, the story he began in Luke. But there's some other things that connect the books if you look at the thematic and structural parallels between the books you'll find that they unfold very similarly when you go into the book of luke we see jesus miracles followed by healing events and places where jesus went when you go into the book of acts you see that same kind of pattern being repeated and the uh, mission of the church is un- is uh, unfolded in a very like way that luke unfolds the ministry of jesus himself and so he uses some of the very same stylistic approaches To unpacking what's going on in the book of Acts. Actually, when these two books were written, they probably traveled together. Um, One of the reasons that they probably were separated is they're both really long books, 30% of the New Testament, and probably were written on separate papyri. And so later on, as the book was assembled in its current order and the Gospels were gathered together and then Acts followed. we sometimes lose the connection between Luke and Acts, but it is one grand story that Luke is telling. And, uh, and so you see some commonalities between them. And then you notice that there's a definite overlap between the ending of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And I think it's really interesting, and we're gonna take a little bit of time to explore this a little bit and get your hands on the text itself. It's very interesting to see how um, Luke tells the same story in two slightly different ways so in Luke chapter 24 he's talking about that period after Jesus resurrection and in Acts chapter 1 he's talking about that period after uh, Jesus resurrection and so what I want you to do around your table just for fun is I'd like you to look at Luke's account of the ascension and the ascension of course is that moment when Jesus left the earth to return to be at the right hand of his father Uh, Luke talks about that in Luke 24 verses 50 and following and so, I'd like you to kind of uh, have somebody in your group look up Luke 24 and 50 and following and read that paragraph about the ascension. And then, somebody else in your group, um, find Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, and put your finger there. And uh, in a couple of moments, you can read both of those accounts uh, aloud uh, amongst your group and talk about what's the same and what's the new information and how do you reconcile these two accounts of the same event from the same person in two different places so let's have a little bit of fun with that just to kind of get started okay so uh, take a few moments and give some attention to that right now let's get going again thank you for uh, having that discussion around your table and i hope that it was worthwhile and it was kind of enjoyable um how do we read luke acts what kind of things do we need to keep in mind and uh, I'm going to share a couple of things that uh, are communicated by Roger Stronstad, one of the former teachers at our college in Abbotsford, who wrote a book called The Charismatic Theology of uh, Luke Acts*, and was really a front runner in the approach to Acts that we're going to be taking uh, in this course. Uh, so I'm going to share with you a couple of insights from him and a couple of things I've added in. When it comes to interpreting historical narrative, It's a little bit of complex because there's two sets of guidelines we have to keep in mind. On the one hand, there's what we call the historical grammatical principles of interpretation. Now, that's fancy, you know, million-dollar language to basically say, this event in these narratives took place at a different time than ours. There's a historical distance different historical and cultural context, and if we're to understand what went on then, we have to make some effort to kind of understand the historical and cultural context in which it is written. Before we can deal with it in terms of our own culture and our own time, we need to understand what was going on at the time that it actually took place. So that's the historical part. Grammatical simply means that, you know, uh, words are communicated in words and sentences. Words are important, and what words mean, and the way those words are put together are, uh, in sentences, are important. They call that semantic analysis and syntactical analysis. And so, on the one hand, there's the whole business of going back into um, uh, the scriptures, and especially if you're... uh, a Hebrew or a Greek scholar, you are going in doing heavy lifting, sort of trying to put together the story in its historical and grammatical context. But even when we are in an English interpretation, we do exactly the same thing. So that's the heavy spade work that people like Pastor Darren do and other people who are preaching do in order to get prepared to do a sermon to make sure that what they preach is what the Bible actually teaches. But there's something else going on and that is that the historical books, the narrative books, are a certain kind of genre. They communicate their truth in a specific kind of way. And the rules are a little bit different between the way a historical book communicates its truth and a didactic or teaching book communicates its truth or an apocalyptic book communicates its truth or a poetic book communicates its truth. They are all communicating truth, but they package it in different ways. And so when it comes to the historical narratives, we kind of have to respect the kind of genre that those books are and use the rules of interpretation that apply to it. And just generally speaking, we're not going to get into this in a big way, um, you know, the narrative books tend to be more descriptive. They describe actual events that took place. They make us witnesses, they give us an insight into what actually took place at the moment okay and so they're descriptive of what took place the object when it comes to reading responsibly a book like Acts is to balance these two sets of interpretive guidelines in such a way as to understand Luke's message uh, as his original audience would have understood it so here are some guidelines that we wanna kinda keep in mind Luke masterfully unfolds in this book how the Holy Spirit is going to enable the disciples to carry the story that begins with Jesus all the way through to the end of time, and that's where we come into the story. The end of time hasn't come, and so the Holy Spirit is still working and we're a part of what it is the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, Jesus received the Spirit, according to the Scriptures, who empowered his ministry, and now in the book of Acts, he, what he was received, he now gives. He pours out. He is the baptizer, the giver of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and the Holy Spirit now becomes the orchestrating... Uh, dynamic behind every major movement in the book of acts and so very much uh, the book of acts is really about the acts of the holy spirit but there's a couple of things that you have to keep in mind as you're trying to make sense of the narrative and so here are some things you need to keep in mind luke acts is set in the midst of two cultures in which christianity emerged and spread so on the one hand you have jewish culture which is uh, at the forefront of the gospel narratives And it's the history of Acts prior to Paul's missionary journey. So what we'll be dealing with with this summer is really going to be how did the Jewish community, the Jewish followers of Jesus, how did they uh, react to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and everything that took place, both on the people who uh, were attentive and were led by the Spirit and those people who were opposed to what the early church was doing. And so there's a whole Jewish story that's being told. But there's also a Gentile story being told. The Greco-Roman context is always in the background of what is taking place in terms of the cities and the events, the government, the politics, that is ever there. And especially as Paul takes the message and moves out into the Gentile world beyond Jerusalem, you begin to see how that story begins to impact increasingly what takes place. So first of all, you need to understand that Luke acts is set in the two cultures in which Christianity emerged and spread. Secondly, we need to keep in mind that Luke acts is selective history. Luke didn't write down everything that took place. Keep this in mind. If Luke was written around 62 AD, that's one of the suggestions. Some people will say as late as 100 AD, but most people feel it's a little earlier than that. But even if he wrote in 62 or 64 A.D., uh, 64 A.D. was Nero's big persecution, 70 A.D. is when the temple was destroyed. Luke says nothing about those events, and there are some that would argue that those are so such epochal events that it seems surprising that Luke would have said nothing about it if he had already experienced it. Well... Nobody's exactly sure when the book was completed or if it was revised after those events took place. But the reality is, at the time we find Paul in Rome, at least three decades have passed from Jesus' resurrection to Paul being in Rome. Sometimes when we read the book of Acts, we just think this all happened in a year, or it happened in two or three years, or it happened in a short period of time. At least three decades went by. And so when you look at the book of Acts, even though it's a long book, you realize that Luke certainly didn't include everything that the Holy Spirit was doing during that 30 years in every place where he was doing it. Imagine the encyclopedia, bigger than the Britannica, that would have to be created in order to keep a record of everything that was done. John said, you know, I don't know if there's enough books in the world to contain all the things that actually took place to Jesus' ministry. And that's true in the book of Acts as well. So Luke doesn't tell us everything he knows uh, about Jesus or the early church. He's selective in the history that he shares. He has an agenda that he's unfolding and he's using history to tell this story of how the Holy Spirit worked through the early church. Now what Luke is doing here is not unusual as we found out in the study of the Gospel of Mark. Mark too is selective in the stories that he tells and how he puts his narrative together. Isn't necessarily chronological. Uh, In some of the speeches that he records, it's not necessarily the whole speech, like the speech that uh, Paul told all night until Eutychus fell out of the window and broke his neck. Like, Obviously, that would have taken more than a few pages to record. He doesn't record all of that. He just tells us that it happened. And so um, Luke is selective in what he tells us. But he tells us enough of the historical uh, story to help us get with the program of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so... Luke writes, I think, with all kinds of purposes in mind. Um, He wants to document the ministry of Jesus, and he wants to document the expansion of the early church. And by the way, thank heavens that Luke wrote Acts, because there's no book like it in antiquity. There's no other source that we can go back to to get a sense of how did the Holy Spirit actually work through the whole church in order to get the message, you know, to you know, the uttermost parts of the earth as it's referred to in the book of Acts. But it's Luke that clues us into what took place. Um, But he does it with a theological agenda. He tells it the way he tells it because he's got a story to tell. And so he uses literary style to communicate theological truths, realities about God. Um, But it's also instructional. Uh, Luke is clear in, in, in the book of Luke that he writes to instruct theophilus and i think that intent continues as he moves into the book of acts so he's not just trying to inform theophilus of what took place he is trying to instruct theophilus in what it means to follow jesus christ but he's using actual events to help fill in his understanding and so um the gospels and the acts don't identify their authors uh, has as common in letters in the new testament Nevertheless, you have to remember that these books were not anonymous to the first hearers. The people that first heard these kind of knew where they come from. And so Luke uh, is contributed as the author, uh, as early as the second century by Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers who would have had some contact with some of the last eyewitnesses to what took place during those days. Um, And really it hasn't been disputed either for the gospel of Luke or the book of acts that luke the physician who's mentioned three times uh, in paul's writings as one of his companions on his missionary journey was actually the writer um it's written in educated standard koine greek which is the best greek in the new testament as it unfolds so obviously uh luke took some care and has some background in this type of communication and uh suggests that he had a degree of learning that was kind of maybe a little bit higher than the man on the street. Uh, He's referred to as the beloved physician. Uh, Don't think of your cardiologist or neurologist exactly, probably. But he is somebody who is um, uh, aware of uh, healing arts when it comes to the human body. And that's how Paul refers to him. And that's how we've come to know him as Luke, the beloved physician. But he really is just mentioned in three places in uh, Paul's writings And he was a companion of Paul. And that becomes important later on in the book of Acts because all of a sudden there comes a point where instead of Luke talking about um, uh, the events kind of from um, a third person point of view, he starts using the word we. And we did this. And we did that. And we despaired of life because of how difficult it was. And all of a sudden you realize whoever is writing is somebody who's with Paul. He's actually, you know, with him. And so because of all of those reasons, Um, the book has been attributed to Paul, the beloved disciple. I mean, Paul, the beloved physician. physician. John John is the beloved disciple. Paul is, or Luke is the The beloved beloved physician. Um, So what is the book of Acts all about? Um, Um, As I said earlier, it's the second part of a two-volume work with the Gospel of Luke being its prequel. Uh, Luke stated that his intent was to provide an accurate account of the ministry of the early church, powered and led, that's what goes in the blank, By the Holy Spirit Luke's stated intent was to provide an accurate account of the ministry of the early church empowered and led by the Holy Spirit and so what kinds of things does Luke tell us in this book well some of the things he talks about and this is a big theme of his is what happens in the book of Acts has its roots in the Old Testament that this is a part of a continuous work of God that began much much earlier and uh... and so he wants to make sure that people realize that there's a connection between the old testament prophecies about the promise of the father and the coming of the spirit and what's actually taking place in the present. He wants this Jewish audience in particular to understand that this isn't something that is totally separated from what they've known but there's actually, it's, it's the next natural phase in God's redemptive plan and so the gospel is continually related to the flow of redemptive history you see Luke uh, referring to the Old Testament again and again and he has some comfort and some understanding um, of the Old Testament uh, it's led some people to wonder, you know, was Luke a Jewish proselyte? Like was he a greek who converted to judaism like why is he so familiar with the old testament scriptures he obviously has some facility there um we don't know exactly for sure but um but that's one of his focuses in the book of acts he continues to connect what's going on in the church with secular history and so the cities that he mentions and the political situations that he talks about and the uh, characters that come into the narrative um, He's, he's connected his story with secular history as well. Uh, he talks about the fact that this message that Jesus entrusted to the disciples was never meant for Jewish people alone. And he connects that with the promises of, of God to Abraham now extending and finding its uh, working through in terms of the church filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but at the same time... Uh, that he tries to establish the continuity he establishes the fact that there's a difference between the gospel and the Jewish law these two things are not the same in fact sometimes they can work at cross purposes uh, and especially in terms of how uh, the Jewish leadership was practicing um, the Jewish law has kind of a means to grace uh, where Luke is trying to make sure that they understand that yes there's a continuity but they're not the same they're not the same and then, of course, another one of his themes is the power and activity of the Holy Spirit behind the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, as you read through the book, you find that it unpacks how the original Jewish movement came to include the Gentiles. Uh, has the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. That was one of the things that kind of left the Jewish believers agape on more than one occasion. How, what? After all these years of coming apart and being separate, they're now included? Like... This was a mind-blower, and it took a while for them to kind of get an understanding of what all of that meant. Thank heavens for you and I. Is there anybody who's a Jewish background here? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, so we're all Gentiles. Okay, this is important to us. This is our story. It's important to us. Uh, In Acts, the believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness. That's what goes in the blank. To bear witness to the good news of Jesus Christ among both Jews and Gentiles, and in doing so, establishing the church. And the book also describes how Christianity, although new, is in reality one true religion rooted in God's promises from the beginning of time. And so um, I just want to kind of cover a couple of the basic aspects of Acts that I want you to be aware of, some basic characteristics and some distinctive developments that we'll be coming back to as we go through the various chapters. Uh, number one, Acts is a narrative. It's a narrative. Um, that's the way it's written. It's truth in, 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 entombed or uh, enmeshed in a story. Uh, Acts is theological history. Uh, Luke is not just trying to inform us, he is trying to tell us something about God. And Acts chapter 1 8 is really the clue to understanding how the whole book works. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 8. Some of you have memorized this, Acts chapter 1 and 8. But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking to the disciples before the ascension. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The whole book talks about how that prophecy by Jesus, if you will, actually came true, and the difference that it made in the world of its time. Um, This is the only book that tells about the ministry of the apostles, primarily Peter and Paul. It kind of unpacks uh, their life and their journey and their messages. Uh, Luke shows how their ministries parallel one another uh, and how they parallel the ministry of Jesus himself. He's always kind of making those connections. Uh, Acts is characterized, another point, by five summaries or several different summaries where Luke provides general observations about the life of the church at particular times and places, and I'll show you in a moment why that's important. It provides natural segments to how the book progresses, these summaries that's unique to the book of Acts. Uh, Luke's accounts are episodic in the sense that they describe episodes. You know, it's kind of like, I shouldn't really compare it to this, but it's kind of like Game of Thrones where, you know, each episode kind of advances this story. And hopefully as we go from Acts to Acts, this will become more intriguing than Game of Thrones and that you'll want to come and see what the next uh, step is and what God is doing through the Holy Spirit, uh, through his church. Uh, One of the most distinctive um, features of the book of Acts are the speeches and sermons that that constitute a, a third of the entire book. And there's ten major speeches, there's three from Peter, and there's one by Stephen, there's six by Paul, um, where they really unpack the Gospel in the context of the group that they're speaking to at that particular point in time. And those speeches are particularly important and we will take time to unpack those sermons. Is that verbatim transcript of what was actually said? Probably not. Probably those sermons were longer than that, like that they don't take very long to read. They were probably the capitalization of something that was a larger frame, but they give us the core of Peter's message, of Stephen's message, of, of Paul's message, and gives us an understanding. What was this gospel that they were taking to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth? And Acts is also notable for its journey narratives that unfold the spreading influence of the early church mission. And then, of course, it has this crazy sudden ending. And a lot of people sort of wonder, well, why did... It's just like, you know, Luke got to the end of the, of, of the book of Acts and, you know, found out that his favorite sports team was playing and just kind of walked away from the script and just never ever got back to it. I, it, it just... He just ends, you know. Uh, Paul is in Rome and he's having people and the gospel is going forth and unhindered and you're sort of waiting for the next thing and there is nothing. Well, it's hard to tell why Luke ended it that way. Maybe getting Paul to Rome, that was the whole object of his telling uh, the Acts story in the first place. And once Paul's in Rome, mission accomplished. He covered the whole gamut of what it was that he wanted to accomplish. Um, We really don't know. There are some people who would suggest that because, you know, the reason it ends so abruptly is because there's actually an Acts 29. Have you heard that? That there's an Acts 29? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm telling you for the very first time. There's an Acts 29. Only when you read through Acts 29, the characters in it are Mike Monaghan and Brian Appelt and, you know, George and, you know, um, Brenda. You are the characters in Acts 29. The story continues. Now, you can do what you want with that. There's no um, hermeneutical basis for that. But, but the notion is that the story is continuing to unfold. So, um... I kind of want to kind of bring this to uh, a conclusion for today by um, uh, reading a passage from uh, a book by uh, Eugene Peterson which I thought I had right here ah here it is Uh, it's from his book called the invitation where he kind of goes through the Bible book by book and um, this is what he says about the book of Acts and I thought it's worth sharing has a conclusion to the video portion of our time together. This is what Peterson writes. He says, the story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. It continues in the lives of those who believe in him. The supernatural does not stop with Jesus. He told his disciples, you'll get the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. And about midway through the book we read, the message of salvation spread like wildfire throughout the entire region in Acts 13. Luke makes it clear that these Christians wrote about, were not spectators of Jesus um, any more than Jesus was a spectator of God. They were in on the action of God, God acting in them and God living in them, which also means, of course, that he's working in us. Just in conclusion, as people have looked at the book of acts there's two ways that interpreters have basically taken in terms of applying it to our lives there is one group of scholars that says that you cannot apply anything in the book of acts to our life today Uh, some people are called cessationists who basically said what the holy spirit did in the book of acts what happened in the book of Acts stays in the book of Acts, right? You know, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Well, it's kind of that attitude. What happened in the book of Acts stays in the book of Acts. That's as far as it went. The, the church got kick-started, and good enough, let's just leave it there in history where it belongs. Uh, there's another group of people who are skeptical about how we can apply the lessons of Acts to our day uh, because they're saying, you know, really, you know, what can stories tell you? You really need good old-fashioned, didactic, solid teaching to really kind of ground yourself on. So there's been one group of people that said there's really, you can't apply much from the book of Acts to our lives today. But there's also another group of scholars of which I would be one of them and will be kind of at the heart of what we're teaching in this course that says, no, there are lessons that do apply to the church today. There are some things that are culturally peculiar, That we have to leave in first century, uh, the early church in the first century. But there are some things that I think are meant to be instructive that we are to learn from. That are patterns and things that are normative for the way we go about following Jesus in response to the Holy Spirit today. And so we'll explore some of those patterns and some of those practices that what kind of translates into our world and what maybe is culturally located. That's one of the things that we'll try to unpack as we kind of go through the course. I'm yeah.